It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. Uh, we are here to talk about the 1985 season, Charlie. We are. Um, part two, so we've done the bottom half, we're up to the top half. Before we get into the season, there's one really important piece of football news I forgot to tell Jimmy, you. Timmy, I can't. you came to me like someone had died. You're like, I can't believe we forgot to talk about this. Big, massive. Huge news. VFL football news. 1985. Mark Jacko Jackson released his single, I'm an Individual. I can't believe we didn't mention it. Let's have a quick little sneak peek. Listen. Um, as, uh, fans out there, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it took us this t- till this I episode know. just to play it. Um, hopefully that gets it out of your system. And we were talking. We were just talking earlier about like just what a what an unbelievable character of the game he was, and and like it's not surprising. It's actually a stroke of genius that he was the man, <laughs> the face of AFL or VFL, VFL in America, yeah. trying to trying to make the sport bigger. Um, just genius. Yeah, love it. All right, Charlie, take us through what teams we've already. Absolutely. Let me start from the from the lowly bottom again. So we had St Kilda taking out the Wooden Spoon, then Melbourne, Sydney. Fitzroy, Richmond, Collingwood, and then Geelong in sixth spot, just missing out on finals. So that takes us to our top five, our final five, Mm. as we like to call it. And in that fifth spot, sneaking into finals, uh, was North Melbourne. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, I know, I know. So uh, with 13 wins, one draw, and eight losses, and a percentage of 97.9, we had... Uh, North Melbourne, captained by Wayne Schimmelbush, of course, staying in charge, and coached by John Kennedy Sr. Yes, taken back into the ranks of league coaches. Yeah. Hawthorne champion, now at North Melbourne. Unbelievable. All right, some debutants include Rick Norman, Steve Hickey, Shane and Rowan Robertson, uh, Paul Spargo, son of Footscray's Bob Spargo, and probably must be related to the Charlie, Charlie Spargo. Spargo. I'm, not, I'm not sure, but we can, yeah. Uh, and Darren Crocker. Tell us a little bit about Darren. I would love to. Uh, so, uh, not much to say, not much, a heap of, heap to hear about Darren Crocker, but very talented, but extremely injury prone footballer as well, who is capable of performing uh, very serviceably at both ends of the ground, as we know. Fantastic. Now, 1985, North Melbourne were playing all home games at the MCG. Bar yes. one, there's one game they don't, which we'll talk about later on. Round one, the Kangaroos were actually invited to take on the Pies in the first in round one in the first ever game under lights at the MCG. Although I think there was a game in the 1870s that was under lights there. I might be wrong. That, yeah. Um, but first premiership, first VFL game for premiership points under lights at the MCG, um, which the Roos lost. But it's a good bit of foreshadowing as North will make this kind of a staple Friday night. The Friday night, yeah, in the games, 90s. yes. Yeah. 
Round three was their first win. The Roos upset the Blues at Princess Park by two points. Three quick goals after the time clock showed 30 minutes gone gave the victory to the Kangaroos, who were looking at a 16-point defeat earlier on. David Dwyer kicked the winning goal only seconds before the final siren sounded to give North their first taste of victory for the season. Now, round four. Disappointingly, North became the first side in 1985 to not beat the Saints by 100 points. They only beat them by 39. <laughs> Crackers were dangerous in this game, as was Schimmelbush and Larkin. Round six. By halftime against the Ds, North looked to have the game won, kicking eight goals to two in the second term to lead by 24. They were 18 points up at the final change before a demon fight back gave them the lead. They were still in front at the 30-minute mark for the last quarter before Wayne Schimmelbush dashed down the members' wing and put his side in front with the last kick of the day. The other star of the game was third gamer Brendan Ryan, who kicked five for the Roos in his first appearance since 1983. Uh, Roos by one point against the Ds. Round seven, the Roos beat the Bombers by 59 points, and their score of 27-14, 152 was their highest ever score against the Bombers. Glenn Denning and Brendan Ryan kicked four each. The Roos jumped the Swans in round eight at the MCG, the defence holding the Swans to three behinds while the forwards established a good lead. The Swans could never actually bridge that gap at the final margin, 28. And John Norley did that thing after the game where you take your players over near the cheer squad and just absolutely blasted them. Ah, okay. Really embarrassed them in front of their fans. Uh, Round nine, Keith Gregg and Rain Schimmelbush were the inspiration in the Roos' 16-point win over the Tigers with 24 and 23 disposals respectively. Uh, Larkin and Hodgman chipped in with three goals each. Round 10. Roos won their fifth game in a row, showing more courage than the Lions to win by 11 points. Round 11. The Roos salvaged a last-minute draw with the Hawks on the Queen's birthday holiday. Lead changed seven times in the last quarter, and the Roos gold with only seconds to spare to earn a 17-11-113 draw each. North's best were crackers, was Phil Cracker with four goals. Nice. Round 12. The Roos had a successful visit to Victoria Park leading all day against the Pies and winning by 37 points. Ten different goal scorers saw them put in a very even performance. Um, after the game, actually, the Pies protested the score, and because of this, a goal was taken off after the umpires con- uh, conferred. Round 15, North beat the Saints by 64. They were leading all day. Peter Jones kicked seven, Peter German five. Round 17, the difference between the Roos and Demons at the G was the Cracker Brothers. Uh, they had a hand in almost every single Kangaroos goal. They finished with seven between them. The final margin was four points. The only downside was Jim Cracker's report for kicking Alan Jarrett, for which he received a six-week suspension. And now around this time, as we talked about last episode, New Swans owner Jeffrey Edelston put on a glitz and glamour event at the SCG for the Round 19 match against the Roos. He had balloons, parachutists, banners, special guests, but the Roos came and spoiled the party. Trailing for most of the game, the Roos, through Ross Glendening, earned themselves a five-point win. At least it was a close game. Hmm. Round 20 was the only match all season at Arden Street and the very final league game ever played there. Um, the Roos said goodbye to the ground as a game day venue in style by taking care of the Tigers by 50 points. The Roos' domination started in the second point. It was seven goals to two, including four goals to Stephen McCann. And from there, they went on to win quite easily. The cheer squad commiserated the last game with a special rest-in-peace banner, which got several laps of the ground. Um, I guess North's record over the time were playing there was five from the 529 games they played 239 were wins 282 were losses and eight draws that's their vfl record not not including vfa yeah not bad remember they had that one random season they played in coburg that's right yeah in the 60s so 
What's the reasoning? So basically, they knew. Did they know that was the end, and so they went back for one last I hurrah? I believe so. So we're we're in the era of grand rationalisation. Yes. now where the bigger games are being moved to the MCG for yep. money and yeah. So basically, because they were pulling big crowds and having those that Friday night game, whatever, yep. they were all constantly being moved to the G or yeah. And plus the cost of fixing up the grounds was something the clubs couldn't yeah. incur. Yes. Because there was you know everyone was broke in the eighties. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, it just made sense for them to move. But just have that last game was, I guess, a last hurrah. Yeah, say goodbye. Bit of fan service as well. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, absolutely, very important. Round twenty-one, the Roos had control of the game against the Lions early, but the line against the Lions in round twenty-one. The Roos had control early. The Lions came back, but the Cracker brother, well, Phil Cracker specifically, came to the rescue. Uh, setting up David Dwyer to kick a goal to put the Kangaroos back in front, and then he himself kicked a sealer with little time left as they won their final game of the season by eight points. They lost their final game but did qualify for finals. Yep, good. So they, they pulled their way in. Um, which, yeah. I mean, good. After, I mean, last year they sort of fell apart. That was bit, like second they? last. Yeah, so they've, they've pulled it back together without changing too much of their side either, which no, is interesting. Because, well, they did have quite a lot of they did players have, leave last season. Yeah. Um, but all these players now, it's plus Josh Ken- John Kennedy. It's yeah, well, I'm sure that's a big part of it, right? Absolutely. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at North Melbourne this year was Phil Cracker with 35, uh, Matthew Larkin and Ross Glendening just behind him with 32 each. There's a few a few guys in the 30s, Peter Jones as well, Stephen McCann. And that's so they shared it around. Yep. A fair bit. A few in the 30s and 20s. Yep. Um, and Matthew Larkin also won the Sid Barker medal that there you year. Go. For a rookie yeah. player, that's pretty Not bad, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So that takes us up to fourth spot where we have Carlton. Uh, 15 wins and seven losses, a percentage of 115.5. Uh, coached by David Parkin and captained by Wayne Johnson. Yes, debutants include Rhett, Bays, uh, Rhett Baines, Brad Shine, Peter Road, Darren Ogia, Ogia, and a very big name, Stephen Silvani. Who's he? No. Uh, son of Surge. I oh, believe. son of the son of Surge, of course. Yes, Soss was drafted to Carlton under the father-son rule. Uh, being the son of former Carlton champion Sergio, of course, as we've just mentioned. Uh, it was scarcely a surprise when he followed in his father's footsteps and made his Carlton debut aged 17 in 1985. Um he was Silvani is a highly energetic, resourceful footballer who was regarded as one of the game's finest fullbacks. Of course, fullback of the century. Yeah. All right. So round one kicked off against the doggies. Uh, the highlight was probably Bruce Dool's landmark achievement of surpassing John Nichols' games record. Ah, yeah. Three hundred and thirty-two games. Um, but they lost to the dogs in a big upset. Round two, though. Boil over? Would you call it a boil over? Boil over. Yeah, the dogs came. We'll talk about the dogs in a few moments. We will. Um, round two, the headline is goals, goals, goals. Because guess who Carlton played? St Kilda. St Kilda, of course. They, yeah, they sorry. destroyed them. Despite only kicking three goals in the first, the Blues went on to kick 25 goals, 19 for the rest of the game. Um, not only their highest margin over St Kilda, but their highest ever. Oh, my God. How many teams set records against St yeah, Kilda so in this year? They won by 140 points. McClure kicked six, Buckley four, Reese Jones three. Um, what a sc- devastating year to be a 25 19, 169 to 217 29. Yeah. Two. Yep, yeah, two goals 17. 
both kicked in the second half. Oh my half. god! Imagine those. Imagine that that seventeenth point kicked. St Kilda fans would have been losing their marbles. Anyway, sorry. Round four at Princes Park against the Cats. The game started off with a fiery brawl up the scoreboard end. Um, David Reese jones copping a heavy blow to the jaw courtesy of Geelong's Paul Jeffries. Geelong were outclassed with the Blues, led by Ashman, Blackwell, Johnson, McClure and Meldrum. Two good. Blues by 72 points. McClure was seven. We should also mention um, David Reese jones has come across from South Melbourne as well. Yeah. down from South Melbourne. Take. Big star recruit. Round five, the day started dramatically in the Carlton dressing rooms. Already having four players suffered th- suffering through illness, the dominator, Wayne Johnson, collapsed and was replaced by Ian Mueller, who had to wear the number 60 jersey instead of a number 29. The Blues, unfortunately, went on to lose to the Demons. Hey. Round six, they were embarrassed by the Bombers, and I'll get to that later on. <laughs> Round seven, they took on the Swans in Sydney. They kicked six goals in the last 13 minutes of the second quarter, which took them to a 29-point lead, and they really went from there to, to win. Ken Sheldon started with 40 disposals, including 31 kicks. Um, this was also, I believe, the debut of Stephen Silvani, a 17-year-old at the time, uh, played superbly considering the tremendous pressure of such a tight match. Round eight, they took on the Tigers in wet conditions and Carlton dominated the first quarter to lead by 34 points despite the absence of key players McClure and Reese jones Despite being outscored nine goals to six thereafter, the Blues were pretty much always in control and they won by 17. Round nine, it was a crucial, crucial match against the Lions at Princess Park. The Blues behind for most of the day, but they surged forward in the last quarter and were able to get over the line here. Justin Madden, one of the, uh, the key players in this, having a big season. Um, he continued to thump the ball out of bounds late in the match to keep the keep the time down and keep the clock ticking. Um, he racked up 31 disposals himself as a big ruckman, finally coming, growing into that big body of yes. his. Yes, takes a while, always takes a while. Uh, round 11 at Waverley against the Pies, Carlton dominated the middle stages of the game, outscoring the Pies 82-14 to 14 in the second and third quarters to earn a 23-point win. Round 13, a huge second term against the Saints, where they kicked 10 goals 9. <laughs> allowed the Blues to register a comfortable win, but the performance during the other three quarters was far from convincing. The final margin is only 32 points. Oh, wow. I guess teams are taking Carlton, taking St Kilda lightly. Yeah. yeah. Round 14, Carlton played their first night game for premiership points uh, on a Friday night against the Kangaroos. They produced a fine four-quarter performance. David Rhys-Jones hit top form. The final margin, 79 points there. Round 15, they had a 26-point win over the Cats at Cardinia. Round 16, they played the Demons. It was another good four-quarter performance. They won by 10 goals. Uh, Silvani was very good here against Calvin Templeton. Um, round 17, the Blues broke their hoodoo against the Bombers. They hadn't beaten the Bombers since 1980, if you remember. Yes. Ten, ten games in a row they'd lost. Led by ex-Bomber Justin Madden, they beat the Bombers for the first time since 1980 by 52 points. It's a good, well, that's a good way to break the hoodoo. Jeez. It is. Round 18, the Swans jumped Carlton early, but a dominant nine-goal second quarter by the Blues established a match-winning break, which the visitors couldn't peg back. Paul Meldrum was the star for, Blue, for Carlton with 32 points, and again, Justin Madden dominated in the ruck. Round 19, they smashed the Tigers at the MCG with an eight-goal-to-one opening quarter, really setting the stage for a 73-point win. At one stage in the third quarter, they led by 112 points. So 73 seems quite respectable for Richmond. It does. Round 20, that combination of Madden and Reese jones again helped them get over the Lions by 28. And round 22, uh, the Blues led all day against the Pies at Waverley, but looked leg-weary in the end. The Pies taking it right up to them in the last quarter, but the Blues managed to hold on by a goal. So there you have it. Yes. 
Well, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a jump up from fifth to fourth. Carlton looked pretty strong, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at Carlton this year was Mark McClure with 48. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the John Nichols medal went to Justin Madden. Yeah. He had a, a great season. Yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. So that takes us up to third place, where we ha- third place, where we have the Hawks, sitting with again fifteen wins and six losses, but that one draw in there pushing them above Carlton, one hundred and thirty point eight, also very healthy percentage. Yes. Um, coached by Alan Jeans and captained by Lee Matthews. Same combo we've had for a couple of few oh, years yeah. now. Yeah. Debutants include Steve Malaxos, future West Coast Eagle. Greg Deer and Jason Dunstall. Ah. We talked a little bit about him in the Nike series. Yes, we have. Uh, so as he as he demonstrated emphatically right from the time he made his senior debut with Corporu, aged just 17 in 84, Dunstall was a rare and exceptional talent. <laughs> uh, during that one blistering debut season, he, do- he topped the quaffle uh, with 73 goals as a 17-year-old. Uh, his chunky frame belied his a- a- athleticism, skill, and tremendous pace off the mark. Somewhat surprisingly, perhaps, given the fact that only two players in football history have booted more VAF or VF- VFL or AFL goals. So there you go. Yeah. Hawks lost their opening round game. Round two, they took on the Demons. Peter Russo, Russell Green, and John Kennedy took the Demons' backline apart. Brereton kicked five. Uh, and Dunstall in his first game kicked three goals, one, ten kicks to five marks, two handballs. Round four, the Hawks beat the Swans on a soggy SCG by 19 points. Round six, they were better in their endeavour to defeat the Lions at Victoria Park. Lee Matthews and Michael Tuck played themselves back into form in the game. Final margin there was 28. The Hawks easily beat the Saints in a one side of the fair at Princess Park. The final margin was 126 points. Oh my God. Lethal with six, Peter Knights with five. Round nine, they were too strong for the Dogs at Princess Park via a big first half setting up the win. Although Alan Jeans was very wary of the inaccuracy, the team registered 17 goals, 24, winning by only 19 points. Lethal was six. Round 10 was a bit of a famous game in league history. Peter Knights, the high-flying hawk, was opposed to a skinny, wet-behind-the-ears kid known as Stephen Silvani, we just talked about. Yes. Knights produced some high-flying magical moments and prevailed... With nine goals, but Soss also pulled in several speckies of his own to convince the president that he'd one day be a star. But this was the Hawks' day, 79 points. And as I said, Peter Knights with nine goals. What a ripping yeah. performance, especially, especially from an older player. Um, round 11, they drew, the kangaroo, they drew the kangaroos on Queen's birthday. But round 12 is a day that probably lives in infamy with Hawthorne and Geelong. Um, so they were playing the Cats at Princess Park. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of pushing and shoving and niggling all day. Um, specifically, Jacko Jackson down the forward line was just kind of getting stuck into everyone. Um, the Hawks won the game, but the biggest story from this is the violence. Um, for the game, Neville Bruns was tagging Lee Matthews throughout the match. Um, and I, then I believe Steve Hocking was taking him when he went forward or maybe back. There's a bit of shifting going on yep. there, but they were trying to tag him. He's a dangerous player. Late in the game, in the last quarter, with Geelong going forward, um, as Neville Bruns was running past him, Lee Matthews struck him behind the play, breaking his jaw. Kind of, it's just caught on the film as well. You can kind of see it's it at the top on, of the right camera. Right at the end, yeah. 
They just don't know which way to look. Oh, gee. A Geelong player's gone down behind the play. So Matthews. Matthews goes so down. Is Matthews in the centre. A Geelong player went down. Matthews is down. There is... Oh, that's going on everywhere here. Geelong Steve Hocking exacted, exacted swift retribu- retribution, breaking Matthews' nose, and an all-in melee ensued. Jacko came into the fray, swinging and continuing. <laughs> he continued to follow Lee Matthews as he left the field as well, trying to get at him and taunt him um, with blood streaming down his nose. Sure. Well, all I'm going to say is I don't care. This who is thinks, a disgrace. I don't care who thinks Jackson can play football. He's virtually started all this. Lee Matthews that- is being let off the ground. He's caught one in the mouth. Jackson's coming down. Have a go at him. No reports were laid by the umpires against Matthews, though. However, the behind-the-play incident had been captured on camera. And after so that's just purely because the umpires didn't see it, I assume? Yeah, I guess. There's only we got two umpires, one umpire. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a public outcry and the VFL launched an investigation and subsequently deregistered Matthews for four weeks. But it took about two weeks for this to happen. Like The investigation took quite a while, so he yeah. kept playing. Um, he was also charged with assault and fined $1,000. His conviction was later overturned on appeal. But the charge remains the only time a top-level player has been charged for an on-field incident. Yes. Yeah. And this is a huge story, and we could we could talk about this for well, this is over an hour. Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> From that game, though, here were the re- so here were the results. So Lee Matthews got four weeks for striking Neville Bruns, four weeks to re- deregistered. Um, Gary Ablett Senior was given a week for time wasting. Gary Ayres was charged with striking Jacko Jackson. He got off. Neville Brun striking Michael Tuck got a week. Mark Jacko Jackson striking Gary Ayres two weeks. Mark Jacko Jackson striking Chris Langford four weeks. Mark Jacko Jackson striking Chris Langford two weeks. Mark Jacko Jackson striking Chris Mew. Reprimand. And finally, Bernard Tui was uh, reported for elbowing Dermot Burton and cop the week. So Hocking didn't cop anything for breaking no, Lethal's nose? No. You mean uh, AFL commission member Steve Hocking, of, who's now with Geelong? But yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't cop anything. Interesting. Yeah. And I believe that was one of the, oh, I don't remember what happened. Players. One of those sorts of situations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a fair bit going on there. Yeah. Wow. Big news, those thugs Hawthorne. Round 13, the Hawks beat the Ds by 16. Uh, but we're never far enough ahead to be comfortable. In this game, um, Michael Byrne had <laughs> kicked no goals, eight behinds. Oh, that stings. Yeah. Jeez, you'd, you'd just be so in your head after about the fourth point in a row, wouldn't you? Yep. Wow. Yep. Uh, round 15, they smashed the Swans at Princess Park by 73. Um, they kicked 19 goals to eight after quarter time. Um, round 16 it was new recruit teenage Jason Dunstall that helped the Hawks to victory over the Tigers at the MCG he kicked 8 of the Hawks 27 goals Burton and Judge kicked 5 each um, in the team that was missing Matthews and Knights round 17 Dunstall kicked 5 in a win over the Lions round 18 only 41 point win over the Saints quite low Uh, Lee Matthews came back in round 19 against the Pies in an impressive return playing in the forward pocket he kicked 4 goals and helped helped the Hawks to a 32 point win Round 21, in a game where the double chance was up for grabs, the Blues got within two points late in the in the uh, last quarter. But, um, th- thanks largely to David Rhys-Jones, but the Hawks were too strong, winning by 23 points. Terry Wallace, the game winner here with 38 disposals. And round 22, the Hawks were just too strong for the Roos at Princess Park, playing like a machine throughout in a commanding performance that was never in doubt. Loveridge and Wallace were dominant in a 64-point win, but there was some concern with Michael Tuck, who was knocked out and in doubt for the finals. Oh, okay. Um, 
so very interesting year at the Hawks with all. I mean, it's amazing that that happening with Lee and that game didn't sort of derail them on field more. Yeah. It's yeah. quite phenomenal. Yep. Um, so l- lead goal kicker down at Hawthorne this year was Dermy with 58, lethal with 56. Um, obviously missing those few games, stopped him from getting the top spot there. Uh, uh, Peter Knights had 37, Dunstall 36 just behind in the, in his 16 games he played for Hawthorne this year. Yep. So that includes finals, obviously. Yeah, uh, that takes us up to Footscray in second place. Uh, so 16 wins and six losses for the Doggies. 120.9% uh, coached by Mick Malthouse and captained by Jim Edmund. Yeah, uh, big year for the Doggies. Really the uh, darlings of the VFL this season. Yeah. Uh, debutants include Alan Daniels, Graham Cordy, Peter Baxter, Tony Bahajas come across from Essendon. Oh yeah! Left out of the, uh, the grand final team the year before. Just uh, we've got a special special guest in the house today. Um, when we started this podcast a few years ago, we had a friend, the coach, who came to us and said, "When you get to the eighty-five, I need to come and talk about Brad Hardy." So here he is, special guest, the coach. Welcome. Ah, thank you for having me. Uh, great to be on uh, again. And yeah, Brad Hardy was one of my uh, favourite players, and one of the reasons I just love the long sleeves. Loved a player in long sleeves. It was like. Uh, them just coming out of their shell and just really stamping their authority on the game. But um, if I can, I actually wouldn't mind uh, telling you a little bit about Brad Hardy. Please. So uh, Brad Hardy is p- perhaps best remembered for being one of the most highly decorated footballers of all time. He was a member of South Fremantle's 1980 Premiership team, and he also won South's Best and Fairest Award in 1982. He won both the Tassie Medal and Simon uh, Simpson Medal for Western Australia against Victoria. He played 140 games for South Frio before joining the Dogs uh, in 1985. Round one, Blue Dogs gave, Bulldogs gave the Blues the shock of their lives and ran out five goal winners at Princess Park in the opening game of the season. Beasley kicked nine and new recruit Brad Hardy, who the papers referred to as Mark, Mark Hardy. Oh, really? He's also great on debut, yeah. Round two, the Dogs had to call on all their class to beat North Melbourne at Waverley. They had the battle back from the last... From the first quarter where they had kicked one goal one to the Ruse eight goals two, but they fought back to win by 26. Beasley with five, Bahaja with four. Round three, the Dogs led by 14 points at three-quarter time at Witten Oval against the Cats, uh, but kicked 11 goals four in the final quarter to beat them by 65 points in the end. Beasley with seven goals there. Round five, the new glamour side, the Dogs, upset the reigning premiers Essendon at the Western Oval, their first loss of the year. The Bombers led by three points at halftime, but the Dogs kicked seven goals, two in the third, to eventually win by 41 points. Beasley kicked three, and Bahaja played really well against his old team. Bit of revenge. Yep. Round six, they beat a lackluster Richmond at the MCG. Round 10, as part of the state's 150th anniversary, the Dogs and Pies played at the G in front of 45,000 people. And in a tight game, it took the Dogs until the last quarter to shake off the Pies, but they registered a 26-point win. Beasley with six. Round 11, Stephen McPherson was best on ground for the Dogs in a 21-point win over the Saints. He had 20 kicks and five goals in his starring role. Although the margin should have been margin should have been closer to 10, the Saints kicked the last five goals of the match. Round 12 at the Western Oval against Carlton. Footscray had the first use of the wind and kicked well. In the second quarter, the timekeepers started the outer clock a little later than they should have, and at halftime, the clock showed only 22 minutes had elapsed. Oh. They came a bang-bang! On the timekeeper's door, and in barged Carlton's chairman of selectors, Wes Lofts. He demanded to know why the Blues only got 22 minutes use of the wind. It was explained that they did, in fact, get full use as a full use as a Carlton timekeeper was there and knew exactly what was happening. Hmm. 
The Dogs went on to win by 47 points. Um, and the 47-point win was the record margin for the Dogs against the, the Blues. Which oh, really? doesn't sound like that much, does it? It doesn't. It's very close. Uh, and yeah. the Blues' score of five goals, 9.39, was their lowest score against the Dogs. Um, round 13, they took control of the match against the Roos early on and held a 26-point lead at halftime. The Roos hit back in the second half um, and kicked a late goal to make the margin two points, but the Dogs held on. Um, it was a, and this ended their eight-game eight winning streak as well. And an interesting fun fact here, umpire Ian Robertson was in charge for his 300th game and he received the standing ovation. Nice. Round 14, the Cats couldn't contain the Dogs at Cardinia Park. With the visitors running up a 23 goal, 846 point win, score to win by 22 points. Beasley, the hero, was seven. Royal and Doug Hawkins were also great. Round 15, the Dogs took on the Demons at Witten Oval in a lopsided game. The margin was worrying but not humiliating at three quarter time before the Dogs kicked nine goals, one to three behinds to, uh, to take control of that. Another eight goals to two in the last quarter would push the margin over 20 goals. Wow. It was not surprisingly their biggest ever win against the Demons. It was the Demons' biggest ever loss at Western Oval. The final margin was 120 points. Oof. Beasley kicked 12. Round 17, Brad Hardy helped the Dogs to a determined 26-point win over the Swans. Hardy was playing in the back pocket but appeared to be all over the ground in the 26-point win. Round 18, they had a good win over the Tigers. Beasley with another 12. Round he 19, Victoria Park. It was Dog Hawkins and they're taking on the lines at Victoria Park. Doug Hawkins, best on ground, helping his side to a five-point win. He finished with 34 possessions in the mud. Round 20, they stamped themselves as true premiership contenders with a win over the Hawks at Witten Oval. They didn't start well, only scoring two behinds in the opening quarter to the Hawks' four goals, but they fought back when they had the win. They finally took the lead in the last quarter and held on to win by five points. Doug Hawkins really hitting form. He was great in this game again. Round 21, they played Victoria Park again, this time against the Pies. Um... And Dogs started well, but the Pies worked their asses off to get back into the game. And we're only a few points down by half time, but that all counted for nothing as they completely capitulated in the second half. Yeah. The Dogs ran riot. Uh, Edmund, Wahollis, and Bahaja were excellent in a 45-point win. Nice. As the Dogs march into September. Yeah, it marched strongly into September, right? Uh, so the lead goal kicker, of course, Simon Beasley with 105 goals. Yeah. Uh, and Dougie Hawkins took out... Uh, took out the best and fairest this year. Yeah, it's only the third time they've made finals since 1961, and they've done it in style. Seriously, yeah. Mick Malthouse working wonders. Yeah, absolutely. So that takes us to the top of our ladder. And the only team we haven't yet spoken about, Essendon, with 19 wins and three losses. Timmy, what a year! 138.4 percent. Captained by Kevin Sheedy. It's coached by Kevin Sheedy, of course. Captained by uh, Terry Danaher. Yeah. Debutantes. There's only a few debutantes. Just Stephen Clark and Travis Spencer. Um, team hadn't changed too much. From, well, uh, why would you? 84. If it ain't broke, don't fix no, it. No, uh, really, Tony Bahaja was the only one who Left. lost. Yeah. yeah. He was going to go back to WA, but he got poached by the dogs at the last minute. Now, the uh, VFL brought their round three clash against Essendon forward to the start of the year. So they kicked the season off in a special 150-year Victoria celebration. Mm-hmm. The Bombers won convincingly by 14 points and were awarded the Premier's Cup. Uh, now, every single Bomber in this game took a mark except for Roger Merritt. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Round two, um, they ran up a big score of 24 goals, 22-166 to smash the Lions by 103 points. Yes. Alan Ezard there with five goals. 
After a week's break, they took on the Pies, and we're lucky to squeak in by four points here. Round nine, round six, the Bombers rebounded from their first loss of the season. We know that was the Dogs to record a one hundred nine point win over Carlton. Jeez, that's massive. This remains Essendon's greatest. Well, at this stage, this was Essendon's greatest winning margin over Carlton. Mark Harvey kicked seven. Roger Moore kicked five in their tenth straight win over the Blues. So it's even more impressive knowing that the next time they play the Blues, the Blues actually win as well. Yeah. So we we bookmark we really stamp the end of that streak with a nice big. Yeah, win. that's good. Um, round eight, Kevin Sheedy described Tim Watson's performance against the Cats as his best ever. He had twenty nine kicks, nine handballs, seven marks, and kicked one goal two in a sixteen point win at Cardinia. They beat the Demons by eighty two points at round nine at Windy Hill. The margin was the Bombers' biggest ever win against the Demons to this point. Um, it was also the comeback game of Neil Danaher. Ah, nice. His first game since 1981. In his comeback game, he was regularly cheered when he collected each of his 19 disposals. He came through the game in pretty good nick. Like having a new like rookie recruit. Since 81? Yeah, yeah, wow. It has been that long. Yeah, yeah that's down. right. Around 10, they we had got a bit of a fright against the Saints at Moorabbin. The Saints were within three points late in the game, but we steadied to win by 26. Danaher with 20 points. Terry Danaher. Sorry, no, Neil Danaher there with 20 disposals. Amazing. So you beat Carlton by 100 and the Saints by 20. Yeah. Around <laughs> uh, 11, we cruised to a comfortable seven-goal win against the Swans, despite the return of Barry Round and Billy Pickin to the Swans lineup. A six-goal to one opening term setting up the win. Danaher, Neil Danaher with 19 disposals there. Round 12, they demolished the Tigers at the MCG. The star was Gary Folds, who was the chief instigator in the team's attacking play. Vanderhaar kicked five. Terry Danaher was fine off half forward. The margin was 81. Neil Danaher with 17 disposals. So look, looking, he's, yeah. he's pretty, his form's pretty good. Um, round 13, the Lions took it right up to the Bombers at Windy Hill, leading by two points at three-quarter time and playing pretty good football. The Dons had to take control in the last quarter with eight goals to three to win by 27. Roger Merritt and Leon Baker were great. Lee, uh, Neil Danaher had a quiet game with 13 disposals, but his was, improvement was really pleasing Kevin Sheedy. Now, between round 13 and 14, Essendon took on Norwood in the night series and travelled with their full team to Adelaide Oval. I believe maybe it was Football Park, to Adelaide. Yeah, I think it was. I think all those games were yeah. at Football Park, if my memory serves. Yeah, yeah. Um, including Neil Danaher. And during this game, before half time, he backed into a pack to take a mark. He was spun around by the pack and he landed on his good knee and it went pop. Oh, on his good on knee. On his good knee, meaning another knee reconstruction was required. Round 14, after an even first quarter with the Hawks, the Bombers kicked seven goals to two in the second term to dominate them. The Hawks had few answers to the Bombers' running game. Terry Danaher injured his ankle and lower leg in this, which was a bit disappointing. Merritt with five goals in a 36-point win. Um, I guess the bright side in this, so Neil Danaher's injured... In the reserves, Paul Salmon is back from a year out, kicking 10 goals. Nice. Round 15, he made his way into the senior team. Um, against Collingwood, the team he injured himself against the previous year, he managed two goals in the Bombers' 11-point win. Uh, but he sent a scare through the team when he jarred his knee and left the ground. Oh, yeah. He was okay, though. He was okay. Good. Round 16, the Bombers got revenge over the Bulldogs for their early season loss. The team took commanding command from the start. It was Tony Elshaw who kicked three goals in the third quarter that put a stamp on the match. The Bombers did not let the Dogs back in the game and won by 50. Their 55-point lead was whittled down to five points in the last quarter, but the Bombers ended up winning by 24. Round 17, we talked about this. They had their first loss to the Blues since 1980. Um, they looked shaky from here with some mounting injury worries to Madden, Salmon and Terry Danaher. But any doubts were allayed in round 18 when they took on the Kangaroos at Windy Hill, who had beaten them earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. 
The Bombers kicked nine goals in the first and second quarters to lead by over 100 points at halftime. This was the largest Gosh. halftime lead since round two of 1931. Yeah. When, uh, when led by Richmond. So Richmond led North Melbourne 111 to 5. They cruised to a commanding 104-point win in the end. Tim Watson was instrumental with 24 disposals and five goals. Elshaw and Hawker were excellent. And the Kangaroos were a like, top five team. So. Yeah, yeah. So round 19, the Cats played a physical game against the Bombers at Waverley. The Dons controlled most of the game. The Cats did mount a little last quarter comeback, but three goals in the last five minutes helped the Bombers to win. Round 20, they held off a struggling, de- determined demon side at the MCG by 15 points, thanks to Terry Danaher. Round 21, it was Roger Merritt who was the star, despite being uh, reported for striking Jeff Morrow. He kicked four, but it was Vanderhaar who had a day out, kicking nine goals and a 93-point win. The Bombers kicked 27-22, 184 in that massive win. Uh, and ran the final game of the season, they tuned up nicely for the finals with just a small 87-point win over the Swans at the SCG. Hey. Mark Harvey kicking seven goals. Sorry, Paul Salmon hitting some form, kicking seven goals, five. Mark Harvey instrumental around the ga- the ground. Um, and just some bomber stats for the season. Come on, throw them at us. They scored 150 points or more seven times. God. They had three 100-point, at least one, 300, three 100-point wins or 100-point yep. plus and scored over 400 goals for the season. Coles goals. Surprise, surprise, they were the Coles goals winner. I actually thought to myself, I don't know how anyone's going to get past Footscray with the Coles goals, but actually there were a couple of teams, mm. I imagine. Like yeah. Hawks and, yeah. Very interesting. Huge year Huge. for the Dons. Oh, what a year. Uh, so the Crichton medal this year went to Tim Watson for the second time. Back to back? Um, Did he win no, no. Uh, Madden won, has won the last two. Okay. Yeah. All good? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, goal kickers, it was very spread around, actually. As you want it. Yeah, exactly. So we had Mark Harvey, our lead goal kicker, with 48. Vanderhaar and Merritt both had 46. Terry Danaher had 41. Tony Elshaw, 37. Watto, 27. Leon Baker, 27. Darren Williams, 21. Uh, Alan Ezard, 20. And Simon Madden, 19. Yeah, not bad. So, I mean, what are we talking there? Like, that's nine names, ten names I just reeled off with more than 20 goals. Yeah, 409 goals for the season. Pretty imp- pretty incredible. All right. Uh, now we're up to the Brownlow medal, Charlie, just we before are. we get to finals. Um, Coach, welcome back. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, no worries. It's um, always a pleasure. Brad Hardy, man in the long sleeves, won the Brownlow medal. Tell us about it. Well, not only did he wear long sleeves and have red hair, he was actually, um, yeah, won the uh, the Brownlow, and it was actually his first season of uh, VFL. I was about to say AFL yeah. then, but VFL. Um and so basically he was uh, voted best and fairest on the ground five times in that season, second best three times, and third best uh, once to, to get all of his votes. Um, yeah, he, uh, he and as, as far as I know, he's actually uh, the only second player only in VFL history to win the Brownlow in his first year of league football. Yeah. And uh, one last little uh, fact about Brad Hardy, and I find this one quite interesting. Um, he actually quoted when he won it that... At my age, you never dream of that sort of thing. Yeah. Turns out, he was only 22 years old. That's amazing. And like, going back to what you were saying earlier, he won the premiership with South Rio in 1980. So he was 17. Yeah. When he won the premiership with yeah. South Rio. That's, yeah. So I think just an underrated player and anybody... already at 22. Absolutely. Yeah. And anybody that can win a Brownlow uh, in their first year of uh, VFL is doing all right for themselves. If you're, <laughs> yeah. in the same, if you're in the same class as Hayden Bunton, I think you're doing all right. Yeah. Absolutely. So what made him your favourite player? 
Oh, I think um, he was just uh, always, uh, I don't know, I think uh, he was quite a scrappy sort of a player. Yeah, the long sleeves obviously made him stand out. I used to yeah. love all the players with long sleeves, but there was just something about him. Um, it's when weird. It's like an extra layer of armour than wearing the long sleeves. Absol- absolutely. And like I played a bit of football myself, not, not at the VFL sort of <laughs> level. But um, I don't know, Brad Hardy was just like your stocky sort of, uh, just built like a staffy. Short, stout, in and under, and as I've said, the long sleeves. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Fantastic. Coach, thank you for coming in. Great. Thanks again, guys. And, um, yeah, I'd love to come in and talk about some other players down the track when you get to them. Oh, nice. Can't wait. Great. All right. Have a good one. Finals. It is time to talk finals. All right. Let's talk finals. So, our first final, the elimination final at Waverley uh, on the 7th of September in front of... Just under 50,000 people was between Carlton and North Melbourne. Uh, and it was a high-scoring affair. It was. So Carlton lost both uh, Rod Ashman and Bruce Dool to injury in the lead-up to the game. Big losses. Um, and after leading at halftime by 31 points, a Wayne Schimmelbush-inspired North Melbourne put on 14 goals in the second half to knock the Blues out of the final series. Mm-hmm. Wayne Johnson was gallant for the Blues with 28 disposals, but Schimmelbush was best on ground and totally exhausted by the end of it. Um, this is Carlton's fourth successive finals loss since 1982, that premiership. Um, and also, it's really impressive for North Melbourne coming from second last in 84. I know. To, to winning, a winning, fi- a final. winning a final. Yeah, I know. Yeah, eight goals in the last quarter to Carlton's two really just na- nailed, yeah. put the nail in the coffin there. Uh, so the final scores there, Carlton 107 to North Melbourne's 126. Yeah. Uh, so that takes us to the qualifying final the next day at the MCG in front of 58,000 people between Footscray and Hawthorne. And Hawthorne really came out swinging. They did. So as we said, Michael Tuck was indeed ruled out of the first final with that head knock. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Hawks started really well, six goals to two in the opening quarter, and then they just took off in the second quarter. Um, Rod Lester-Smith is credited as you know one of the main reasons for the dog's misery. He marked everything. He turned back the dog's attack after attack and just kept them at bay. Um, the Hawks kept building their lead up and eventually they ran out 93-point winners. Yeah. Dunster with five and Wallace and M- Russell Morris, so Terry Wallace and Russell Morris, had 33 disposals each. Yeah. Footscray were managing sort of, I mean, solid two or three goals a quarter, but Hawthorne just went nuts. Yeah. Uh, so final score there, 62 to 155. So the se- the semi-final uh, takes us to the, well, the first semi at Waverley in front of 67,000 people was between Essendon and Hawthorne. Mm, again. Yes, again, exactly. So after a week off, not surprisingly, the Bombers started pretty slowly. Yep. And although leading at quarter time, the Hawks had the lead at halftime, holding the Bombers out goalless in the second quarter. But the Bombers got their revenge on the Hawks after halftime with seven goals, six to just one One behind. point, a lowly point. To really take the game by the scruff of the neck, Tim Watson re- continued his excellent form with best on ground. Uh, Gary Folds, Roger Merritt and Bomber Thompson all chipped in with 3-2 and 2 goals to a, help a Bombers into the grand final and win by 40 points. Yes, so there we go. Yeah, 102-62 to 62 there. So Essendon straight through the grand final and then our second semi uh, was between Footscray and North to see who would ha- be playing against Hawthorne in the prelim. Uh, and it was very, very tight. 
at, yeah. up until at least half time. Well, this the, Roos, game. the Roos had the better of the dogs in the first term with four goals to three, but roles were reversed after the quarter time break. Mm-hmm. In the third quarter, it was the dogs who stole a break from the Roos and took the game from that point on and went on to win by five goals. Yeah, so only three points in it at half time, though, but yeah, then, then uh, Footscray managed to run off with it. So yeah, 137 to 107 there. Simon Beasley with seven goals, one also helps, and Brian Royal with five goals. Definitely helps. And Doug Hawkins, 38 disposals. So their star yeah. players doing really, what they yeah, to. did what they needed to. Uh, so that takes us to our prelim where we've got Footscray versus Hawthorne. Who played two weeks earlier and the dogs got smashed. Yeah, they not, certainly did. Not, as, not, the, not the same story this time. No. Um, the dogs took it right up to the Hawks, actually. Um, and the game is probably best remembered for the last quarter efforts of Lee Matthews, who was a bit of a non contributor for the first three quarters, but he's 30 minutes of magic. Single-handedly willed his team to a fighting win over the Dogs at Waverley. Um, Dunstall and Judge kicked four goals each, with Chris Mew holding Simon Beasley to just three for the game. Well, that makes a huge difference. It that does. does. Yes, yeah, so a single point in the game at three-quarter time, and then uh, I mean it stayed tight. But yeah, as you said, they just both teams managed to kick a fair few goals in the last. It was a bit seesawing. It's a shame yeah. as well. Seeing the dogs in the grand final would have been great. Yeah, I know. Yeah, unfortunate. Anyway, yeah, so 10-point win, 99 to 109, which means Essendon Hawthorne in a grand final. It is. So first time, well, who was the last? So Bombers Hawks in the third successive grand final. When was the last time that happened? Uh, I'm a, it was at Collingwood, Melbourne. Last time we had three of the three of the same ta- same team in three grand finals in a row. Earlier than that, Carlton. <laughs> uh, it was Collingwood Richmond, 27-28-29. Oh, okay. But this is the first time it's ever happened with the uh, Paige McIntyre system. Yes, so it much makes harder. More, it makes more sense that twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine happened because of the challenge system. Yes, exactly. Um, but here. It's much harder because you've got to you've got win so through. many different ways yeah. to get yeah. Um, now, Charlie, can you indulge me? I'd like to. I've, I've already spoken to Terry Danaher, um, so just sit back and relax I while I just really enjoy talking to Terry Danaher. Absolutely about love to listen this to this. So, can I just say, in front of a hundred thousand people, or just over a hundred thousand people, at the MCG on the twenty eighth of September, we had the grand final. Welcome back, Terry. Back-to-back captain. Gee, she's been a bloody good day. A real team effort today, and the result never really looked in doubt. When we celebrate today, it's not just the players and coach this season. A lot of people have worked hard over the last five years to achieve this. We mentioned the bad loss of 1983, and to beat Hawthorne by today's margin is very satisfying. It seems like this season the team has been in a bit of a class of their own. We had good belief in one another that we could do our bit and play our part. Um, was there much talk about going back-to-back? None whatsoever, and for good reason. We never spoke about winning two in a row. We just wanted to win today. You didn't use last year as a bit of a yardstick for this season? Nope. Sheeds really went crooked us if anyone mentioned the 84 Premiership because he wanted us to keep our minds on the current season. He didn't want us living in the past. So it was a pretty bloody good season. You suffered only three losses for the all year and came into the finals with a pretty healthy team. Um, I don't really want to mention your brother Neil too much, but gee, what a hard luck story. It is. Look, he is happy for us and what we achieved, but I also know that he was bitterly disappointed not to be out there with us. We all feel for him. Well, hopefully we see him again. Your rivalry with the Hawks is fierce. 
Last year, you couldn't seem to beat them and finally got over them in the grand final. This season, you seem to have their measure with good wins to, uh, to open the season and, and then again in round 14. What is it about these two teams? Well, I think it started with the coaches, Sheeds and Yabby, who don't quite get along, and that spread to the players. I mean, we had some good clashes in the late 70s, then the 80s rolled around and both teams were thereabouts. And was it the grand finals? That definitely adds fuel to the fire. To be the best, you need to beat the best. And we felt like we were always chasing Hawthorne. The base of the rivalry kept building year after year until there was this expectation that every time we played against them, it was going to be really hard fought. Nasty, great game. So, the semi-final, um, I guess you're expecting the Hawks again? The Dogs have played a great season, but the Hawks were so hardened and, and had so much experience. So I guess the Hawks were who we expected. And in that game, the Hawks looked good in the first half of the semi-final. They did, and you know, we were known for our slow starts, but she does what he does at half-time, shuffled the team around. Kevin Walsh has moved to the forward line with Gary Folds. He kicked three, and then Merritt and Vanders went back. It's like he had this reset button he could push, and before we knew it, it slammed on seven goals to one point in the third quarter, and Bob's your uncle were into another grand final. Then the, the Hawks obviously had to play the Dogs again and just got over them, so... Uh, you had a meeting with them for the fourth time this season in another grand final, and I should say the third grand final in a row. We know each other pretty well, but having said that, we were supremely confident coming up against them this time. And only one change for the Bombers, Stephen Carey coming in for Merv Neagle. Yeah, Merv was forced off the track with some uh, gastric trouble on Thursday, and Carey has not put a foot wrong on the training track, so a fitting replacement. And the Hawks, they... Uh... I don't know what you know about them, but they made some interesting changes too. Al Halloran in for his first game of the whole year, and they left out players of the calibre of Gary Bacanara, Rodney Ede, and Peter Knights. Yeah, that's the effect Sheedy has with all those mind games he likes to play. So there was a feeling pre-game that the Hawks would have to resort to some probably, I'd say, rougher tactics to try and put you fellas off your game and have any chance of winning. Well, as the Hawks have proved this year, they aren't above throwing a few... Well, as the Hawks have proved this year, they aren't above throwing a few round arms. We know we could match their rough stuff when it came. So the match started, Madden got the tap, and then... Bloody Lee Matthews sharked the ball, got it forward and then burned and kicked a goal from a free kick. Probably not the, the start you would have wanted, and it wasn't long after that that the Hawks decided to play the man and not the ball, which resulted in a bit of a messy all-in brawl. What, do you know what started that? There was always simmering tension between the clubs and from memory, Byrne might have bumped the ball into Leon Baker's face or it may have been Mick McCarthy. But whoever it was, the moment came and it was on for young and old, very savage. Now we don't want to go into too much detail about this ugly fight, but all players were basically involved. We know Dermot Brereton smashed into Vanderhaar and Harvey belted Morris. And I think all players were, you were a bit wary of Lee Matthews. So once, once the dust settled, um, Dermot Brereton actually kicked the next goal. And this was the point where I think you, Terry, were moved back onto him. Yeah, something like that. I let him know pretty quickly I was there to get stuck into him. There was some pushing and shoving. I know he hated me leaning on him. The Hawks had three goals to one at this stage and looked probably the slightly better team, but Harvey and Salmon pegged a few back. Yeah, they did. The umpires were getting involved as well, but I guess they had to. Lots of goals came through undisciplined play on both sides. So by the time the sirens signalled the end of the first quarter, the Bombers led by nine points in, I guess, a quarter you'd say that had everything. A massive, fiery brawl, hot contest and 11 goals. It was a hot one in there. Salmon was hitting form in the second quarter. He gifted a goal to Harvey and then chipped in with one himself. I think this prompted Alan Jeans to move Chris Mew onto him. 
Um, Salmon playing with this kind of confidence must have been a real welcome sight for the team. It's true. He was down on himself when he came back into the team late in the season. I think he had some words with Sheeds just before finals and Sheeds basically promised the big fish a spot in the grand final if we made it. This took some pressure off his shoulders and he just concentrated on playing the footy we all know he is capable of. So second quarter, the Hawks were still hanging in there. Twice Burton brought the Hawks back into it, but you boys hit three of the last four goals of the quarter to take an 18-point lead in at halftime. It was a bit different from last year. No nervous sickies in the toilet this time. <laughs> and after Hawks thought they could jump you again in the third, they were sorely mistaken. Um, after a four or five minute stalemate, Watson broke the deadlock before Salmon bobbed up again. We were really starting during the game from this point, you know, slowly but surely. And Brereton continued to do his best to keep the Hawks in the game. Despite my best efforts. Um, but you really controlled the scoring for the rest of the term. Bomber Thompson and Leon Baker sent the Bombers in, in at the last break with a five goal lead. Yeah. Um, was there any thoughts about the Hawks? Was there any thoughts that the Hawks could do to you what you'd done to them the previous year? No, not really. You know, we had control of the game in all aspects, whereas last year it was a real arm wrestle. And then the last quarter was an absolute bomber blitz. It was an asset and onslaught. Within a minute or so, Simon got another goal and then she was on for young and old. Um, so let's just uh, enjoy this last quarter for Bombers fans. Take us through the goal kickers if you can remember. Yeah, certainly. OK, I hope I get this right. The Big Fish was the one who kicked off proceedings, followed by Big Rog, then Baker, Harvey, Duckworth, Watson... Merritt, Salmon again, Ezard, Williams, and then to finish off, young Mark Harvey roved a cheeky one off the pack in the goal square. And I think that's it. So 11 goals, three behinds in that final quarter. I mean, amazingly better than the nine goals, six you kicked last year in the final quarter. You might call us a last quarter specialist. We really like to put the foot down. And then the siren goes, before you know it, you and Sheeds are up there holding the cup again. What a feeling. You must consider yourself pretty lucky. You know, it took us a long road to get here. We made it to the grand final, got beaten by a record score, and now we've won the last two. Some people never get another chance, so my word, we were lucky. And Norm Smith medalist today, Simon Madden, how did you see his game? He was just at the top of his game, you know. I think he had set himself up for a big one. He was pretty quiet last year, so he wanted to redeem himself. I think Derek... I think Dermot Brereton was probably nipping at his heels, but I think his stats line was something like a dozen kicks, 10 handballs, 14 marks, and 22 hitouts. Probably unlucky not to get in on the goal fest we had. Um, so is this duo of premierships, so 84 and 85, the highlight of your playing career? Yeah, I think very much so. You know, I've always been involved in team sports, and this is the pinnacle, I guess, getting to the top. I've been pretty lucky all throughout my career, really. Even starting way back in 74, the road has been pretty long, but it's been special. Can you go again for three in a row next season? Well, we've got to improve our starting as Hawthorne was great in the early stages today. We need three more players to be a very good side. And, I mean, thoughts on your own game today? The only thing I did all day was chase around bloody Dermot Brereton. <laughs> um, I'll skip the next question because I've already asked that. Okay, well, Terry, thanks so much. Enjoy the celebrations. You know, we're going to get stuck into a few drinks and have a good time. Enjoy. Thanks, mate. That was special. I enjoyed that. All right, here's some I'm stats. I'm glad I could let you have that. <laughs> here's some stats from that game. Salmon, six. Merritt, four. Harvey, four. Watson, three. Baker, two. Ezard, two. Williams, two. And singles to Mark Thompson and Bill Duckworth. For the Hawks, I mean, it was the Dermot Brereton show. Eight yeah. goals to him. Singles to Dipper, Judge, Lester Smith, Loveridge, Matthews and McCarthy. Best for the Bombers were Madden, Merritt, Salmon, Watson, Baker, Thompson. I mean, I can go through the whole team. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, what an incredible last quarter. Oh, well, you thought that you thought their quarter in uh, '84 was good. Yeah. '85, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, some points of interest from this. Bombers now equal Carlton's record of 14 premierships. Great. Ahead of Collingwood. Yep. Yep. Um, and Leon Baker, Essendon player, has made it four flags in four years after flags with the Swan Districts in 82 and 83. Pretty special. Very good. Not bad at all from them. No. All right. Other results from the year. We've got the Hawks beating Carlton in the reserves. We've got Richmond beating North Melbourne in the under-19s. Which means the McClellan Trophy goes to Hawthorne. Of course. I was just going to say, making a grand final and then also having your reserves win the grand final. Yeah. It's saying a lot of good things to come from yeah, Hawthorne. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that in all this time, the Bombers haven't won the McClellan. It is. They're the three, kind of three years of dominance they've had. Um, all right. Other things to wrap up. Um, oh, yeah, so let's wrap up. <laughs> let's do a <laughs> let's wrap do up. Yeah. All right. The Premiers. The premiers were Essendon they in an absolute bloodbath. They sure were, Charlie. Uh, Brownlow medalist? Brownlow medalist was Brad Hardy. Brad Hardy, indeed. Coleman medalist? The Coleman medalist, Simon Beasley, of course, with, uh, I'm assuming, 90. Yeah, yep. 93, okay. <laughs> Wooden spooners for the 23rd time? St Kilda. St. 23rd Kilda. time. Yeah, 23rd time. Wow. Um, so they've got about a quarter. Yep. About a at quarter stage, of the wooden spoons at this, at stage, this stage. They haven't even played 100 years. They've played, what about to, 90, 90 years. And That's what I mean, and yeah. they've got 23. Yeah. So they've got, they've got about a quarter <laughs> of the wooden spoons. Yeah, and they're all kind of clumped together as well. Um, so what else we got? The, <laughs> the Norm Smith medalist was Simon Madden. Yes. Yep. Um, my retrospective rising star... I've given it to Matthew Larkin of, of North Melbourne. Okay. He won their best and fairest. Now, you might say, Tim, why are you giving it to Matthew Larkin? You gave it to Paul Salmon last season. Justin, Jason Dunstall, I've given second here. Yep. Dunstall kicked 36 goals, yes. Yes. Impressive. Larkin kicked 32. Yeah. Kicked four less goals, played more games, much more disposals, a lot more of the ball. So, Matthew Larkin is my rising star. Now, I'm going to ask the question, just to clarify, yeah. why not Brad Hardy? Because he's too old. I knew that. I yeah. just wanted to clarify yeah. for other people who be, might be asking the same question around. Yes, thank you, Charlie. He's only just out outside the age, uh, right? Well, he, What's a rising star got to be? Uh, under 22, 20, right? Must be under age 21 at the 1st of January and have not played more than 10 games. So, so he would have been just out. Just out, yeah. yeah. Um, highest score for the season, Richmond's 31 goals, 25, 211. Mm-hmm. Most points, Gary Ablett, 65. Also, Gary Ablett took out Mark of the Year with a big specky over the pack. Goal of the Year, Andrew Buse of Geelong. A long run at Cardinia, which saw him balk two tackles and bounce three times to kick a goal from 40 metres out. Nice. Now, the Premiership list as of 1985. Mm-hmm. We have Carlton with 14. Essendon with 14. Then all the way below them, Collingwood with 13. Melbourne with 12. Richmond, 10. Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, Hawthorne 5, South Melbourne 3, North Melbourne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Uh, retirees, as of 85, Keith Gregg, Kelvin oh, Templeton, Peter Knights, Lee Matthews, Grant Thomas, uh, Laurie Serafini of Fitzroy, Jeff Ablett, the journeyman, Hawthorne, Richmond, Geelong and St Kilda player, Xavier Tanner, Brian Wood, 
winning a premier, his fourth premiership with the Bombers there after a few of the Tigers. Stephen Smith of Melbourne, David O'Halloran of Hawthorne, Emmett Dunn of Richmond and Footscray, Rod Austin of Carlton and Barry Round finally retiring. Yeah. I think the third time he's probably retired. <laughs> yeah. And best name, Charlie, you can do the honours there. Please let me. Um, it has to be uh, Tony Spasopoulos. Um, special mention to Enrico Misso and also Joseph Rugolo. I like the Italian names very much. But Tony Spasopoulos, absolutely. He's an Italian. That's Greek. No, no. Special yeah, shout out yeah. to the Italians. Okay. Yeah. Um, Charlie, that brings us to the end of the 1985 season. It does. And I suppose the end of what we've done for quite a while. Because just a little while, yeah. Just a little while, yeah. Just, take, just put it on the, on the back burner for a little while. So just letting it just boil down. Yeah, so the next thing you'll hear is we're, we're going to do a weekly series like linking in with the season yes so every monday we hope to have an episode out just talking about the round that's gone but trying to link that back to history we would love to help you guys be the annoying people at drinks being like you know when this happened last yeah all that sort of chat that's what that's who we want to be yeah because that's who we are (laughs) we are annoying people yeah um so that's next you'll hear of us is that we'll uh we'll have a new theme song we've got a slightly different bit of a name change yeah well we'll still be kick to kick but we're presenting yes yep uh, new theme song. It's going to be an logo. exciting time. It is. It's exciting for us. We're stepping into some new ground, Timmy. Don't yeah. know how it's going to go. It might be shaky. We'll no, see. No idea how it's going to stand. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fresh. No matter what it is. Yes. I can't wait. I'm very excited. I hope you guys are too. And I'm glad we could squeeze in the two Essendon premierships before we got to that. I bet you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so October, we'll get to 86. Yeah. So all you Hawthorne fans who want some redemption, you got to wait. <laughs> wait, wait till the end of this season. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's going to be exciting. Uh, stick stick around for it. I hope you enjoy the new format and please give us some feedback if you think you know that you think there's things we could be adding or yep. you know whatever. We'd love to hear from you, from everyone. Sure. Uh, so, well, not until 1986, which is what I usually say, yeah. but until next week, until yeah. we start talking about. Uh, the 2023 season. Oh, we're jumping ahead like 40, 30 years. Great. Can't wait. Uh, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.